Well, good morning. This sermon series, the epic. You know, what's, you think about what an epic is. Think about that for a second. What, do, what? How do we use the word epic? Big, spectacular. Most of the stories that have been part of this series are well-known stories, and they are epics. This is you know big, you know big people, big events, big contrasts, and stuff like this. And when I was asked to speak and told it was part of the sermon series, I thought, well, you can go with one of the, one of the well-known stories, you know? Um, I thought maybe Brian was going to pull his usual, and, you know, and he, he and the other guys would get to all the good stuff first, and I'd get stuck with some little, you know, something obscure. But that's not what happened. There's so many good stories in the Old Testament that they couldn't back me into a corner that way. I chose this one. Um, it's about the book of Amos. It's about Amos himself. Um, if you want to turn there, it's in the uh, end of the Old Testament. It's in a section called the Minor Prophets. And they're called minor not because they're not important. It's called minor because the works, the literature, is a, they're short. They're very, very short. That's where Jonah is. Um, that's where Malachi is. There's a collection of them. There's 12 of them right at the end of the Old Testament. So if nothing else, just get to where the New Testament starts and go backwards. And you'll find Amos. It's just a couple pages long. It's not a commonly known story. Um, I don't believe I have ever heard a sermon on Amos. As far as I know, there is no Sunday school materials that ever uses Amos. It's not one of the big, it's not David and Goliath. It just isn't. You know, people are aware of it. But it is an epic story. It's a wonderful story. And of course, the most telling thing is Hollywood has never made a movie. You know, Charlton Heston as Amos never happened. But Amos is somebody you need to know. This is a great story. It's a short book. The book is almost entirely just a record of Amos' messages. It's in basically three, session, three sections. There's judgment, the first couple chapters, judgment on eight specific nations. Very short on each nation. Then there are three sermons, or what are probably almost outlines, because they're too short to be true sermons, uh, against Israel, and then there are five visions that God gives Amos, illustrating the coming, the coming judgment. And that's it. That's the whole book. Except that there's this one little insert in there about a confrontation. It's just, la- it's just, a, few, it's just a few verses. And it's almost like, why do they even bother to put this in here? But it's a wonderful story, and that's what we're going to focus on. And it's a confrontation between a true prophet of God, someone truly called and sent by God, and a confrontation with a corrupt priest of a corrupt religion. But we need to set the stage. You need to understand um, who the players are. So let me do that for you. Amos, almost nothing is known about him. He's only mentioned here. He does not appear anywhere else. Apparently his ministry was limited to this one trip to the north and this one set of messages and um, he's not mentioned, or, and there's no other works attributed to him. He identifies himself as a shepherd. And you need to understand, in that world, in that time, a shepherd was, like, way down on the socioeconomic class level. You know what I mean? He's a nobody. He's at the bottom of the bottom. He also identifies himself as a 
dresser of sycamore figs. The type of a fig that had to be cut just before they got ripe or they couldn't be used. They would spoil or whatever. So what do we call somebody who travels around and works on trees and plants and things? What do we call those people? Migrant farm laborers. Migrant workers. That's who we're talking about here. He's a shepherd, which is way down on the socioeconomic class, and he's migrant labor. What does this say about him? He's undoubtedly poor. Undoubtedly poor. Undoubtedly not educated. Undoubtedly not from a good family. These are all reasonable assumptions. And God chooses this guy to go to the north. We're going we're to flesh that out. So Amos is from Tekoa, which is a little town south, was a little town south of Jerusalem, on the edge of the desert. It was out in the middle of nowhere. So Amos is a nobody from nowhere. Now, this is the world. This is the political world of that time. You can see there the kingdom of Israel up there towards the top. You can see where it says Mediterranean Sea, just beside that kingdom of Israel. Below that, straight down, the purples, kingdom of Judah. That used to be the nation of Israel. But the north left. The ten tribes in the north did this to the south. We're going to go start our own country. We don't have to listen to Jerusalem. We don't have to deal with the temple. We're out of here. Start their own country. 150 years before the time of Amos, this splits. So you have a well-established country called Israel. Most of, the, most of the tribes were up there. Most of the tribes of Israel up there. So it's called the kingdom of Israel. It had its own king, had its own capital, had its own worship centers and religion. All that's left of the original nation of Israel is the kingdom of Judah in the south. And it's called that because Judah was the one tribal group that remained, and it was the largest. These two are rivals. At this point, these two are rivals. And the rest of these are rivals and enemies. So Israel is surrounded by enemies. Look way up there at the top. See where it says Sidon? See where it says Beirut? Right below that it says Tyre. Tyre was a very powerful little city-state. Very powerful and an enemy of Israel. So Israel is literally surrounded by enemies. But Israel was stronger than the rest of them. They had to use their, their, they had a very capable king, very capable military, and they had pushed out the borders of, of their country back to the level it was under King David and King Solomon, which was quite a, quite a feat. There was a power vacuum in this part of the world. The big players, now you've got, you got to understand the scale on this. This would all fit in less than half of Ohio. Everything you're looking at would fit in less than half of Ohio. The big league players aren't on the stage. Just around the corner, down there, is Egypt. World-class civilization. Around the top and on the other side of the desert is Assyria. World-class civilization. Both of them are in decline at this point. Normally they would be fighting over this area because it's so valuable. The end of the Mediterranean... You have trade routes that come across the Mediterranean and they hit land here and they go on farther east. You have spices and stuff coming from the east through here. It all flows through Israel. You also have trade routes that are looping around the end of it. 
Lots of trade goes through this, different directions, both directions. Also, the northern kingdom has wonderful farmland. They have three crops a year. Still do. So you have peace, stability, effective government, a powerful military, and people are making money hand over fist. And a merchant class emerges that is very wealthy and very powerful. Egypt and Syria are not threatening. Everything's looking good. Israel, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is experiencing a golden age. Similar to what under David and Solomon. Everything on the surface looked good. They think, well, God's blessing us, obviously. I mean, look at all this. You know, you ever heard, you know, it's hard to argue with success? It was hard to argue with success. Everything looked like it was going their way. These are good times. Let the good times roll. These are good times. But there's trouble below the surface. Wealth and security can have some pretty nasty side effects, and we see that in our own country. Israel was suffering from greed, pride, gluttony, drunkenness, sexual immorality, extreme luxury, lack of compassion for the poor and needy. The extreme wealth produced corruption of judges. You could literally buy a judge to rule in whatever you wanted. If you had enough money, you just, it could happen. That's corruption of the entire legal system. You had the widespread, and because of that, there was widespread oppression of the poor by the rich. This was a society that looked wonderful on the outside, but was rotting on the inside. Amos was called by God to expose that. The religious picture is not a whole lot better. There was lots of religion going on, lots of worship going on in Israel. There were temples, there were shrines, there were priests, there were sacrifices, there were sacred days, religious festivals, there were solemn assemblies, offerings. Religion was everywhere. The problem was it wasn't the religion that God wanted. There were multiple shrines, national shrines, religious shrines. One was at Dan, one was at Gilgal, and those names come up again. And the main one was at Bethel, and that's where we're going to focus. That's where this confrontation takes place, is Bethel. Bethel literally means the house of God. Beth means house, and El is the name for God. Bethel, the house of God, and the center of the religion of Israel is there. That's where Amos is sent. It was the chief national shrine. So it's the religious capital of the northern kingdom. Israel's religion had started out as Israel's religion. The people who came out of captivity, think of Moses, Ten Commandments, all that. But when they separated, they lost their bearings, and it becomes fused with paganism. And it's so degraded that at this point, you actually have temple prostitutes. There are young ladies that are in the temples and in the shrines, and the men would go there to worship. That's pretty degraded worship. But that's what was going on here. That's how bad it was, just below the surface. Pull up the next slide. This is Amos denouncing. He's he's wonderfully sarcastic. Sure, go worship. Go to Bethel and sin there. 
go to Gilgal, that's another shrine, and send some more there. And bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thanks offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. Notice what's missing there? There's not a thing there about what God wants and what God likes. Next slide. I despise your religious festivals. Despise is a really strong word. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. And even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. He's telling you what he wants. He says, I don't want that. I don't want all your religious stuff. I want to see justice roll down like... Anybody recognize that quote? Anybody recognize that verse? Martin Luther King used it in a sermon against injustice. He pulled it out of Amos. Let justice roll down like a mighty stream. So there's lots of religion Lots of extravagant religion. You've got to remember, there's a lot of money around. That means beautiful buildings, ornate clothing, you know, beautiful furniture inside the temples, all that. There's, the place is awash in wealth. The northern kingdom expected that God would judge and punish their enemies because, hey, we're the, we're the children of God. We're the chosen ones. We're the chosen people. Of course God's going to rescue us and judge all our enemies. They were assuming that God was on their side. And the the external circumstances kind of bore that out. It was a golden age. They're like, look at this place. Look at this place. How can God be against us with all this? Obviously, God's blessing us. Because they assumed that they were the chosen people and God was on their side, Amos' initial sermon at Bethel got everybody's attention. And got everybody on his side. Let's pull up the next slide. Amos starts out with a condemnation of eight countries specifically. You just saw the map. It's the eight countries that surround Israel. Now this is an example of what, what these condemnations look like. And this is about Tyre. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre and even for four I will not relent. He's talking about judgment to come. Because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood, I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortresses. So he does the same thing, uses that same formula for three and for four, which means enough and more than enough. There's plenty to judge these countries for. And he uses that same formula, and he just goes down the list. Starts out with Damascus, which means Syria. For three transgressions and for four, I will not relent on my justice, my judgment of Damascus. How do you think that sounds to the people of Israel? Damascus is one of their enemies. How do you think this sounds to them? Yeah, they're like, anybody who's listening, walking by, and here's Amos proclaiming this, people are going to go, 
Hey, wait, Damascus gets it in the neck? Yay! You have my attention, Amos. I'm listening. Preach on, brother. For three transgressions and four, I will not spare Gaza. What would the reaction be? Yeah, woohoo! Preach on. Tyre, we just saw this one. People are going, hey, this guy's good. I mean, he's, he's a little rough around the edges. He's kind of you know, a little country bumpkin thing going here. But boy, the guy can really preach. For three transgressions and four of Edom. For three, three transgressions and four of Ammon. They're all like, Ammon's going to get it in the neck. Preach on, brother. Moab. Moab. Moab gets it in the neck. This guy is great. I love this Amos. Preach it. Don't hold nothing back. Help him, Jesus. Actually, they wouldn't have said that. But (laughs) then to Judah, their arch rival. Judah gets it in the neck. God's going to crush Judah. How do you think that's going to go over with Israel? People are just like, this is fabulous. We love you, Amos. We love you. And then he gets to And for three transgressions and for four, I will not spare Israel. And suddenly you can hear a pin drop. And he goes on denouncing Israel far longer than any of the others. Actually, it's about as long, it's actually longer than all of them put together. And he's, see, it's brilliant public speaking. Brilliant public speaking. He got the crowd, he got their attention, and got them on his side got them to drop their guard, and then, (laughs) brilliant. Now that he has their attention, he's just getting started. This condemnation on these other nations, this is just the start. That's just the setup to get people's attention. He now has three entire sermons that he delivers, listing very specifically what's been going on in Israel and why God has to judge them, has to judge them. Great detail. This probably took place over several days is, is what I'm picturing. But Amos' dynamic preaching, and people are listening, he's drawing crowds. This has not gone unnoticed by the authorities at Bethel. There are people in positions of power that are paying attention. Before Bethel, before Amos went to Bethel, he had apparently had been traveling and proclaiming his message of doom and judgment in other places in Israel. He'd been to some of the other shrines. You see a couple references to it if you read Amos. And word had gotten back to Bethel. Remember, this is the religious capital of the country. Word had gotten back to Bethel about this fiery preacher denouncing them. This fiery preacher from Judah, from the south, denouncing them. And it had come to the ears of the chief priest of Bethel, Amaziah. And there's the setup for the confrontation. Now, Amos is actually in Bethel with the same message of God's judgment on Israel and on Israel's false religion. Amos is, or, um, Amaziah is not amused. And remember, Amaziah was the high priest of the national center of religion in Israel. And Bethel was a direct rival to Jerusalem. A prophet from Judah, of all places, condemning Israel at Bethel was uh, outrageous. Absolutely outrageous that he would do that. 
And condemning Israel's religion and condemning Bethel was a direct indictment of the high priest also. So Amaziah is in this personally also. He's the head of the religion. And Amos, this upstart nobody from nowhere, this shepherd dressed in rags, is bad-mouthing him in his backyard. He cannot let this go. This cannot go unchallenged. So if you bring up the next slide. And here's where you get to this very short section where it's actually going to tell us a little story. Amaziah said to Amos, this is a a face-to-face confrontation. So picture Amos preaching and a big white limousine pulls up. Doors open up. The big burly guys with the tight suits get out. They got the little little speakers. You know, they check everything. And then a guy gets out of the back in a glorious, spectacular embroidered robe. That's Amaziah. And walks right over to Amos. And Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Get back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and it's the temple of the kingdom. Now, I want to explore that a little bit. What Amaziah is doing, he's trying to discredit Amos by saying, you're not a real prophet. You're not God's messenger. The word prophet was used different ways. We think of prophet as a spokesman for God, a messenger. He's just a messenger boy. And that's what Amos actually was. But what Amaziah is doing, and he's doing it publicly, I believe, he is trying to discredit Amos's message in front of the people who have been listening. You understand what he's doing? It's called poisoning the well. He's trying to discredit Amos and his message by dismissing him as a false prophet. Not a real prophet. See, there were schools and communities of prophets. They would get together and they're trying to hear God. And some of it was legitimate. Some of it was, we would call it a religious scam. There was also a phrase called the sons of the prophets, which meant someone was a disciple of an existing prophet. So that's a different use. But there's also what we would call prophets for hire. There were people who claimed to be prophets And for a certain amount of money, you could hire them, and they would prophesy good things about you. Kings frequently had a whole bunch of prophets on their payroll. You see it in other books in the Old Testament. They call for the prophets, come in to tell the king, king, I want the prophets to come in and tell me what God wants me to do. Well, guess what the prophets are going to do since they're on the king's payroll? That's a prophet for hire. Or you might say a prophet for profit. Thank you very much. (laughs) He is discrediting Amos in public by claiming that Amos is a prophet for hire. Because look what he says. You're not going to make any money here with this kind of sermon against the king and against our religion here in Bethel of all places. Go back to Judah and you might find some people that want to hear this kind of crap and maybe they'll pay you. Now, go away. You see what he's doing? Now, this is, and here's, this is is the conflict. This is a nobody from nowhere 
going up against a very important somebody and in the somebody's backyard. This is a classic poor against rich. This is a classic peasant against aristocrat. This is a guy in rags, toe-to-toe, face-to-face with a guy in an Armani suit, to put it in, put it in our times. This was a powerful, well, this is a simple man of God versus a powerful, sophisticated leader of a corrupt religion. This was a lone voice against an entire country and culture. Amaziah had authority and backed by all the power and the wealth of the entire country. The king had a palace there in Bethel. Probably you could see it. Here he is in his glorious robe, surrounded by all the money, wealth, power, prestige, sophistication of Bethel. And then you have Amos. What did Amos have going for him? He was alone. What did he have? He was God's prophet, really. Amaziah had no idea who he was dealing with. None. None. He has no idea that he's dealing with a real prophet. And what Amos says really is God speaking. So he runs him off. Go, you know, hit, hit the road, you, <laughs> you prophet for hire. Go, go sell your services somewhere where they'll pay you something. Out. So confronted by the high priest of Bethel, this simple shepherd is not intimidated. He doesn't flinch. He's not silenced. He doesn't allow himself to be humiliated. He's not intimidated. Bring up the next slide. He boldly defends his calling by God. He, he, he's, uh, the, Amaziah is saying, you don't have any credentials. You know, you're, not, you're not a real prophet. Amos answered, I was neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my, interesting, my people, Israel. Amos defends his credentials by pointing out what? He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any worldly credentials. He's not a prophet. He's never been viewed as a prophet. He's not part of one of these prophetic groups or communities. He's not a disciple of a prophet. He says, I've never had anything to do with prophecy or prophets at all. I'm sitting on a hillside watching the sheep one day. And God speaks to me. And here I am. So bring up the next slide. Then Amos says to Amaziah, I have a word from the Lord for you. Amaziah, personally. Just for you. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. That is a classic Old Testament prophetic statement. The word of the Lord. He's saying, I'm just passing on what I've been told. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm a messenger. Hear God's message. And he's speaking not to the entire crowd now. He's speaking to Amaziah, the high priest. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, 
Because you've done those, that's what the therefore is there for, because you have said don't prophesy and stop speaking, because you're running me off, here's the word of the Lord for you. Your wife will become a prostitute in this city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up to be sold, obviously. He's talking about surveying. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. That's appalling, an appalling statement of judgment. Let's, let's flesh that out a little bit. Your wife, your wife, Amaziah, is going to sell herself, is going to be fondled by the troops who come in to destroy this city, kill your kids, divide up your land, and carry you out. And you never come back. And the whole country goes into exile. That's what's coming. Now, I don't, we don't know exactly what happened, how this, how this interchange ended, but I picture Amos delivering that and then going, and turning on his heel and walking out. Like, you want to run me off? Fine. I'm out of here. There's no wrap it up at the end in this book. There's a series of visions, very short also, and then it just ends. And you're left wondering, so what happened? How did this all come out? What happens with this confrontation? What happens to Amos? What happens to Amaziah? What happens to Israel? Well, we can make some educated guesses. If you reject God's message and you reject God's messenger, what are you really rejecting? Who are you really rejecting? That's what Amaziah is doing, and he's the head of the religion of the country. This isn't just a somebody and nobody rejecting this. This is the head of the religion. And his rejection shows that Israel was hardened beyond recovery. There wasn't going to be a revival. They weren't going to pull out of this nosedive they were in. Judgment was sure and was going to be complete. And if you read the book of Amos, there's very detailed... (laughs) Uh, descriptions about what's going to happen. There is no second chance. There is no way out. Doom is sure. You've had your last chance. Doom is sure. It's just a question of time. What about Amos? Amos apparently left Bethel and returned to Tekoa, and you would assume he wrote down his message because we have his, his messages here. So in this confrontation, who won? Amaziah did. He got his way. He silenced Amos and ran him off. But the win was actually a lose, right? Because it guaranteed that nothing would change in Israel. And in a few decades, in 722... An enemy arose that no one would have guessed in Amos' day, Assyria. Assyria was in decline. People thought, well, they're on their way out. Assyria, rejuvenated Assyria, sets out to conquer this entire part of the world, and they sweep through Israel and utterly destroy it and carry off the entire population, and they never return. You ever heard of the term, the ten lost tribes of Israel? That's the ten lost tribes. That's why they're referred to as lost. They disappear into history. Assyria carries them off 
and they never come back and they never resurface. They're just gone. And among those people is Amaziah. So ultimately, Amos was vindicated. God was vindicated. But this story raises all sorts of issues about the nature of God, about the nature of worship, about prophets, about religion, about what God wants out of his people. One of the messages out of Amos is that true, acceptable worship of God has a moral element to it, a behavioral element to it, outside of the church, outside of the temple. See, they had it all. They had religion. The place was awash in religion. And I mean serious religion. But I mean religion in the worst sense of the word. But we're talking about beautiful buildings, beautiful robes, processions, money, We saw what God thought about that. God says, let justice roll down. He, he, he nails them so many times. You read the book because this rich, fabulously wealthy merchant class is turning their back on the poor. You have guys driving Maseratis, Bugattis, so to speak, by people sitting there starving, by peasants. There is no middle class. There's the extremely rich, the whole 1%, there was a 1%, and then there was everybody else. And for the 1%, things were working pretty good. Let the good times roll. Amos walks in and goes, God's got something to say about this. There's a bunch of other lessons. I sat down and just started listing things you could pull out of this. But I want to tell you a story rather than just give you another outline. Yesterday... I was driving to a family reunion and there was a rough looking guy sitting at the corner when I got off, uh, got off of Cedar Street. Sitting over in the corner. You know what I mean? Rough looking. You know, hair's kind of long. Kind of a scraggly beard. His clothes don't look like they've been washed in the past six months. You know, that. There's a guy sitting there at the corner holding a cardboard sign. You know what I did? I avoided eye contact. Anybody been there? Anybody want to testify? (laughs) I avoided eye contact. I made a great show of looking. He was sitting over here. I made a great show of looking for traffic coming from over here. I looked very, very carefully. (laughs) I pretended I didn't see him. And I drove on my way in my shiny Nice car. And I went to a family reunion, and the tables were loaded with more food than we could all possibly eat. And then I drove back home in my shiny car to my nice home, to my beautiful wife, to work on this sermon. And I never thought about that guy again until this morning. And I'd been praying. I said, God, I don't want to just lay out a list of it. You could, you know, look at this and this is. What is this about? What does Amos say to us? And the guy sitting on the side of the road came to mind. This morning I'm sitting here, so I was like, oh dear. 
You know what went through my mind when I saw him? What went through my heart, my consciousness when I saw him? Panhandler, right? Come on, be honest, right? Am I lying? Am I the only one here who's hard, (laughs) has a hard heart? Panhandler, scammer, deadbeat. You know what didn't go through my consciousness? You know what didn't even touch my heart? There was not even a flicker of compassion. Not even a flicker. That the guy might actually be in trouble. Is he a deadbeat? Is he a scammer? Maybe he is. But maybe he's not. And I didn't care enough to even find out. He just disappeared out of my consciousness and I drove on. Amos condemns Israel's religion because they don't have God's heart. Israel condemns Israel's God condemns Israel's society because they are mistreating and oppressing the poor and do not have God's heart of compassion. And I'm on my way home to prepare a sermon pointing that out. (laughs) Let's just say I have some thinking and praying to do about this. And perhaps you do too. I'd like to encourage you as a worship team's coming up and the prayer team's coming up. I'd like to encourage you to read Amos this week and let him speak to you. This may be a confrontation that happened 750 somewhere, about 750 BC, a long way away. But Amos has something to say to us in our very prosperous culture and lives. So if you have any needs, physical needs, emotional needs, you need some prayer, we have people here that would love to pray with you. If this has touched your heart, that's a legitimate legitimate need, come up here and pray. God's got something to say to you. So the worship team is going to play a couple songs and then we'll...